praise team. Thank all of you for taking part in worship this morning. If you brought your Bibles, please turn to Acts, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8. We'll share a sermon that I've just simply entitled, Scriptural Baptism. Scriptural Baptism. As we look at Acts chapter 8, and um, let's uh, pick up reading at verse 35. Philip has uh, gone to a chariot, and he's found an Ethiopian eunuch, and the, the eunuch is, he is uh, studying a passage from Isaiah, and he doesn't know what uh, it means, and so uh, Philip begins to teach or preach to him Jesus and explains the passage found in the book of Isaiah. And so if you would look at verse 35, let's stand together out of reverence and respect. God's infallible, inerrant, inspired word. And as we look at Acts chapter 8, verse 35 through verse 39. Then Philip opened his mouth and he began, and beginning at the scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Verse 37, then Philip says, If you believe with all of your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you for our opportunity to, to worship you today and now to open your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit will teach us and guide us. Help me, I pray, as I share your word this morning. Help me, Lord, to, to say the right words and the right spirit. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will take these words and apply them to our hearts. I pr pray, O oh God, that your Spirit would go from person to person this morning. And Father, speak to hearts of individuals and speak to us collectively as a church. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Scriptural baptism. As I was thinking about our baptismal service before the service this morning, I thought this would be a, a very appropriate time to share with you about the importance of baptism. Now, if you notice in our text that Philip preached unto the Ethiopian in verse 35, he preached Jesus to him. And as soon as the man believed about Jesus, as soon as he believed about the gospel, Philip stopped and Philip, they both went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Now, many people today have a misunderstanding about baptism. Some believe that since baptism doesn't save us, but then baptism really is not that important. Others may make the mistake saying, well, if you're not baptized, then you're never going to go to heaven. So which is it? Is it important? Is it not important? Is it so important that uh, if we're not baptized, we're not going to heaven? Let me just say this. Baptism is not necessary to go to heaven. 
but it is necessary for obedience. Now just kind of keep that in mind. And obedience is necessary if we're going to experience joy and growth in our life, in our Christian life. We need to be obedient to what, what the Bible says. Now, with all that said, there's some Christians, perhaps, who have never been baptized. Uh, but they think uh, you need to be baptized, but they've really perhaps never gotten around to it. But when we think about baptism, think about it in a way of being obedient to Christ. So we want to look at about three points this morning. The first being, I've jotted down, the method of baptism. The biblical method of baptism. Now, baptism is an act of immersion. It's an act of immersing someone in water. Now, you witnessed that just a few minutes ago with Drew. And when the Ethiopian eunuch asked, what does hinder me to be baptized, we really could translate that by saying, what hinders me from being immersed? And so baptism is being immersed. In John chapter 3, John chapter 3, uh, I believe in verse 23, you find where John was baptizing in the river of Jordan and everyone was coming to John. It's on your screen. He was also baptizing Eon near Salem because there was much water there. And they came and they were baptized. Now, if John wanted to sprinkle everybody, then he could have baptized in Jerusalem, and he could have baptized perhaps all of Jerusalem. He had a big barrel, a big drum, and he could have baptized everybody if he just sprinkled them. But see, he had made a point. He had to go, and he had to find a large stream of water, a large area of water. So the point is, he had to find a place that he had plenty of water because it takes a lot of water to baptize or immerse a person. So, now, I want to share three words with you that you might want to remember for future reference. Three words that are very important that help uh, define water baptism. Three Greek words. First of all, you have a Greek word by the name uh, by by epikeo. Epikeo means to pour, to pour water. Epikeo. Then you have another Greek word. It's called rehantsio, and rehantsio means to sprinkle. So you have a word for specifically pouring water and specifically sprinkling water. And then you have the Greek word baptizo, which means to immerse. Now the point is, if water had been poured are sprinkled, the baptism would not have been spiritual, I mean, uh, scriptural baptism. Pouring water or sprinkling water is not scriptural baptism. So the word in the English Bible, baptized, comes from the Greek word baptizo, which means to immerse. And so that's the word we have in the English Bible translated from the Greek. And so, therefore, when we baptize a person, we need to immerse that person. Now, actually, the word baptized is an untranslated word in the King James Bible. When King James of England was going to have the Bible translated from Greek to English, he called his scholars together, and uh, they were translating the Bible from Greek to English for the king, and all of a sudden they came to 
baptizo. Well, immediately, they looked at that word, and unfortunately, uh, they, they didn't translate that word to immerse because the king, King James, was very familiar with uh, the way people were baptized then, and that was by sprinkling. And so to keep from embarrassing the king and staying in good humor with the king, they didn't translate the word baptizo to immersion. They transliterated the word from baptizo to baptize. And so the king was happy, and so were a lot of other people. So in order to save the king's embarrassment, they decided not to translate the word baptizo to English, immersion. They left it as baptized, a transliterated word. Now remember this. This is really important when we're talking about baptism. The method is important. The method is important. I'm fixing to show you. The method of baptism is important because if you change the method... You're going to change the meaning of baptism. So first you have the method of baptism. What is it? It's immersion. Now let's look at the meaning of baptism. Now baptism speaks of what Christ did for you and for me when he saved us. If you would, look at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, and let's look at verse 1 and 2. We'll look at all We'll look at first five verses, but one and two first. Romans chapter six. Now we're looking. We know what the we know what the method is. It's immersion. Now we're going to look at the we're going to look at the meaning. Romans six verse one. What shall we say? Paul says. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Then he says, Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer there in it. And put a little parenthesis around died. Okay, what's the meaning of baptism? Understanding baptism. So when we were saved, you know what we did? We died to sin. We died to that old life. And God forbids that we have been saved and we continue to live a sinful life. Look, if you will, at verse 3. He says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. And so when we were saved, we died to sin. We died to that old way of life. And God forbid that we've been saved and continue in that same sinful lifestyle. So the point is, Christians, think about it just a moment, Christians. This is, this is our biography. These verses are our biography. This passage describes the past, the present, and the future of every believer. And that's shown in your baptism. So first you have the Christian past. Let's look at that. Look at verse 4, the Christian past. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death 
that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also we should walk in the newness of life. So he said, as a believer, that we've been buried with Jesus through baptism. A few minutes ago, we immersed uh, Drew, and, and it's a picture of a funeral. And so he was buried. He's put beneath the water. And the Bible says that we've been buried with Jesus through baptism. You're buried under the water. And so the point is, this, is, this baptism is a visual symbol of your old life dying and being buried. That's what baptism symbolizes. Your old life dying and being buried. But listen, at the same time, it connects you to the death of Christ over 2,000 years ago. It says that Jesus took your sins and my sins. He carried them to the cross. He suffered on that cross for your sins, my sins. He died for you. He paid your sin debt, paid my sin debt. And when, and, and when he died, you died, we died with him because of our faith in him. And so you can, it's a beautiful picture of us dying to ourselves, dying to sin, dying with Christ, dying with him, putting our faith and trust in him. So the point is your old self was crucified with Christ that your body of sin might be destroyed and you should no longer serve sin, but serve who? Serve the Lord. So the point is your baptism is a funeral of your old self. Okay? It's a funeral of your old self. You, you bury that old self. Uh, it's in the grave of God's forgetfulness. Your sins are gone. You're no longer guilty. And baptism is a visual picture of your old self going into the grave. So you have the method. It's immersion. And you have the, you have the reason because of that. We've died to sin. We've died to that old life. And so the meaning is... Uh, is First, that we have, uh, we've died to Christ. It's part of our past. Uh, it speaks of our past. And then it speaks of our present. Let's look at that just for a moment. Paul tells us in Romans 6, he said, Christ, verse 4 and 5, said, Christ was raised from the dead so that we should do what? Walk in newness of life, verse 4. And uh, that's the present reality of the Christian. We're supposed to be walking in new life. In the newness of life. Jesus didn't stay in the grave. What did he do? He arose. We don't stay under the water when we're baptized. What do we do? We come up out of the water. I baptized uh, Drew a few minutes ago, and I said, you've baptized in the likeness of his death, and you've been raised in the likeness of his resurrection to walk, to live a new life. You don't stay in the grave. You come up out of the water, a new person, you now have a, a new walk, a new life. That old life is gone. The new life has come. You've been born again. And so it's a beautiful illustration of what we are in Christ. Coming up out of that baptismal water is a symbolic picture of you coming up out of the grave, risen to a new life in Jesus Christ. So you have the method. You have the meaning, the past, the Christian's past, the Christian's present. And look at, a, look at the verse, you'll see the Christian's future. Paul says, since we've been planted in Christ in death, we shall be raised like Christ in the resurrection. You know, one day I'm going to die unless Christ comes first. And uh, I'm going to 
They're going to put my body in the grave. But the grave couldn't hold Christ. And the grave can't hold me. I'm going to be raised just like him. And so the point is, that's what baptism pictures. It pictures the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the core of the gospel. Now this is an important verse you need to mark. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As we're speaking about the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15. And I, I share it from time to time, but it's very important. It tells what the gospel is. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received in which you stand. Now here it is. In which also you're saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that he was buried and that he arose again the third day according to the Scripture. Friend, listen, that's the gospel. Now, whatever we do, we're not to dilute the gospel. You don't add anything to the gospel. I've, heard, I've had people to share with me, I say, well, I was baptized, I obeyed the gospel. Baptism's not mentioned in that whatsoever. It's not mentioned. Is it important? Yes. Does it have its place? Yes. But it's not part of the gospel. It's not part of the gospel. Don't dilute the gospel. You dilute the gospel by adding things to the gospel. Jesus wants us to understand the transformation that takes place when we're saved, and it's shown through baptism. Baptism, it's a beautiful illustration of the death, the burial, the resurrection of the person who believes in Jesus Christ. So baptism is a beautiful way that God chose to symbolize the gospel. The, the death of Christ, the burial of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. So baptism is a beautiful way that God symbolizes the gospel. So you don't want to just use any symbol you don't want to use sprinkling. You don't want to use pouring. Because why? That doesn't describe the gospel. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. And so remember, the method and the meaning are kind of bound together. You don't want to separate them. So you have the method, which is immersion. You have the meaning, the Christian's past, the Christian's present, the Christian's future. And then you have the motive. And I'm going to close with this. What's the motive of baptism? Jotted down three things. First of all, baptism proclaims your commitment to Jesus Christ. It's a way of saying, Lord, I'm identifying with you. I'm following your example in believer's baptism. Believer's baptism. It doesn't make you a Christian, but it simply shows that you are a Christian. So... You know, let's, let's, let me illustrate. Let me, let me just say, let's say my wedding band. This is my wedding band. This wedding band really doesn't make me married. But it does what? It, it's just, it shows that I am married. It shows that I'm married, and it shows that I'm not ashamed of being married to Judy. It means I'm not ashamed. I mean, I want everybody to know it. I belong to this woman. She belongs to me. I belong to her. I love her with all of my heart, and I wear this wedding ring, and it's a way of showing that, okay? So when Jesus was baptized, he was identifying with us, and when we're baptized, we're publicly identifying him to be our Lord 
and Savior of our life. So that's a motive. Baptism identifies us with Jesus. You know, uh, in Muslim countries, if a person uh, uh, converts to Christianity, one of the, the most harmful things that they could do, it could cost them their life, is them being baptized. You know why? They're identifying with Jesus Christ. Major way to identify with him. Number two, baptism portrays your conversion to Christ. Portrays your conversion to Christ. Your baptism is, is testing, giving a testimony, I should say, that you're a believer in Jesus. Uh, you're saved, and you want the world to know about it. It, it portrays that you, you're converted. That it conveys that I'm, I've been saved. I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. So baptism portrays your conversion. Third, your baptism pays attention to your command from God. Um, baptism is uh, not a suggestion. It's really a command from the Heavenly Father you find this in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, familiar passage, verse 19 and 20. Jesus' last word to his disciples, it says, Go ye therefore, or go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe thing, all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm always with you, even till the end of the age. So the point is, we're to we're to observe that which Christ has commanded us, and that's baptism. Baptism can't save you. It's an outward expression of an inward reality that's happened. You've asked Christ to come into your life and save you. He lives within you. I've died to self. My sins are forgiven. I've, I've, they're, they're buried in God's sea of uh, forgetfulness, and I've been raised with him to walk in a new life with him. Now, let me close with this, just as a little side note. There are two theories about salvation. There's salvation by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. That's what we believe as evangelicals. We're, we're saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus. That's a, that is a, um, a theory of baptism that we accept. Then there's salvation by ordinances. By ordinances. This is known as sacrodotal salvation. Salvation by sacraments. Salvation by taking the Lord's Supper. Salvation by being baptized. It's salvation by a sacrament, by, by an ordinance. And uh, including baptism and including the Lord's Supper. So sacrodotal salvation or salvation by ordinances, first of all, requires the presence of another person. Not only the presence of another person, but it requires the administration, the, one to serve as an administrator, one to baptize you, one to offer you the elements. It requires a person to do that. It requires someone to administer the, the ordinance, therefore securing your salvation, basically. So your salvation is dependent upon someone else and what someone else does. That's sacrodotal salvation. Someone to baptize you, someone that will give you the elements and pray over you, it's dependent on what someone else does. But when we're saved by grace alone, by faith alone, 
We are dependent on no one to save us, but Jesus Christ and Christ alone. That's what we believe, and that's what the Bible teaches. You know, it'd be something if a man was in the desert and there's no water around, and he wanted to be saved, and baptism was required, he couldn't be saved. Wouldn't it be terrible if someone, if, if an airplane full of people were crashing and they were calling out to God to save them, but they couldn't be saved because there was no one there to perform the baptism or no one there to perform an ordinance, perhaps, the Lord's Supper. Well, let's say if a group of men were in a submarine and were under the water and they came to their death under that water, but no one to perform the ordinance, no one to, no one to help them with the baptism, no one to help them with uh, the, the, the Lord's Supper. But salvation by faith, teaches us this, that anybody, anywhere, anytime can call on the Lord Jesus to save them and he'll save them.